I know, right? Uh, let me pray for us uh, that we would not miss what the Lord wants to do in our hearts uh, through his word uh, right now. Um, Lord Jesus, would you uh, speak uh, to me and through me, Lord? Would you graciously use me right now? And we acknowledge all together that uh, we are mere mortals. And you are not, and we want to trust you with guiding us. We acknowledge that we are not smart enough to understand your ways. You need to reveal them to us, Lord. So we pray for that. We pray there would be a hunger and excitement to learn about you. There would be humility to receive when we learn who we are not. Um, And we pray that you would allow us to handle your word with great precision and humility and reverence. Uh, And that we can enjoy each other, laugh, have a great time, and be the people of God. And that you will be growing us, Jesus. Grow us to be more like you. Give us a passion to trust you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, family. Um, You may be seated. Uh, for sake of time, we're, we're not going to do a scripture reading because I've got you walk through the text anyway, as you guys know that. Um, we are, if you are new, we are doing a, as she says, we are doing a, a, a new series, uh, kind of a, a commercial snapshot, and appropriately so because uh, Jesus deserves to have uh, uh, the stage specifically in a time of Lent. Uh, we have started what we call uh, the series, What Is He Like? The Nature of Jesus. Uh, we normally are going through books of the Bible, and we've been going through Exodus. Uh, we will be finishing after, after uh, this series. We will, we will culminate this series with a celebration in Easter, exalting Christ's resurrection and what that means for us as his people and what that means for the world. Uh, and then we will enter back into Exodus, and we will finish Exodus in May. Uh, so that should be exciting as well, just to give you a little play-by-play of what will happen in the coming uh, weeks. And so each week we are looking at... Um, who Christ is. Uh, when you open up the Bible, I mean, as we even look at the Gospels, that's the whole point. Um, what God is doing in his word, uh, specifically uh, th- I, you know, throughout the whole Bible, but when you hit the Gospels, that I, I said last week, is a time of discovery, right? The author's intent is for you to, to kind of discover who this Christ is, as, as, as the disciples did, Right. And so that's a hard thing as, a, as an author, when you when you know that people have the story for you to write the story so that they can get the story well. And that's what he's wanting to do for us. And then what and what uh, implication of that is as you're reading through the text, he's wanting you to kind of put your place. It's almost like a play. You ever done that? You're in a play and you're thinking, who would I be in this play? And he's wanting you to do that, because based on who you are in a play, you got some decisions to make. Right. If you're the antagonist. And the antagonist gets his head cut off. You might not want to be the antagonist anymore, right? You might want to figure out a way to not be the antagonist. Uh, and so that's what Jesus, in his gracious way, does in the scripture, is that the authors are sharing with you a true story, not a fable, not something that they just hope happened, but a historical event that has happened in history, and wanting you to understand that this is, about, this is a story about humanity and that we're all human. And this is a story about humanity's need, and we all have a need. And it's a story about how people address that need. How people address that need. And how many of us, as the Bible says, man, this, you have this wide road and you have this narrow road. Many of us address the need in ways that are, are, are all about us, are self-fulfilling. And, and God says, man, that's going to lead to destruction. And then he gives us an opportunity to, to, to learn and see uh, who he is and what does it mean to address that need in the way that he proclaims for us to address that need. And so we, uh, 
We started with uh, the triumphal entry and right after that, just to learn about who this Christ is. Because he wants us to understand who he is and then what does that mean for me? He brings us to these conclusions. So last week we, we, we came to some conclusions, right? We came to some conclusions that, man, Jesus was trying to show, and he's going to show again and again, that he says what God says. He's like, well, he's claiming to be God. Let's just put that out there. That he wants you and I to come to the conclusion that this Jesus figure, this man, has come actually down as a missionary Fully man, fully God to save his humanity. That's the conclusion he wants us to come to. And then he's doing things all along the way to validate that, that thesis. To say, if you don't believe that's what I've, I've done, that's what I've come to do, let me do some things all along the way to prove to you, to encourage you, to build confidence in your heart that I am who I say I am. That's what's happening in the passage. In the passages. And so we looked at him showing that, man, God is a God of judgment. Right? We saw that last week. And then he, in, 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 the same, in the same context, he shows, but not just a God of judgment. But we need to know that because he's righteous. And, and that we can't just do what we want to do and be our own gods. That, that God won't let us do that. We're going to look at that specifically in a, in a couple of minutes. But that also he's a God of mercy. So if you heard judgment, don't go, oh, see, yeah, these judgmental Christians again. No, no, no. It's not us, by the way, because we were under that wrath, too. It's that he's too holy. He can't help but to judge sin. But in that, he's merciful. He's a God of mercy. And so we left with hope. You didn't leave in despair unless you were too prideful to receive mercy. So here in this text, we're going to look at and learn a little more about what is he like? This nature of Jesus. So he's, he's fully merciful. And he's, but he judges the iniquity and sin. And now we're looking in Matthew 22, verse 23 through 28. Um, it says in the scriptures here, this is uh, he, it's immediately actually following. He's had one different, uh, one different pericope after the one I talked about last week. And this is immediately following the event that we just talked about uh, last week. This, this passage here. Okay, and he appears uh, to another group of Jewish uh, leaders. Okay, he he was with the teachers and the and the scribes, and now he's he's with these people called the Sadducees. Okay, um, and there's some interesting things that we're going to learn about the Sadducees and what happened in the scriptures here. It says um, uh, these guys were very serious about the Torah. Okay, in fact, they 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 kind of dispelled the rest of the canon. They didn't, they weren't dealing with all the other Old Testament books. They focused on the Torah, and so. Uh, and I, th- I would propose it led them t- down some dark paths, but we're going to see that in a moment. Look what it says. It says, the same day the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question. So it's the same day he's hanging out. They come up to him, the Sadducees, these other leaders. And I'm just going to say a few things. We're going to go home. I just wanted to see this, the, the, the big picture here. It says, saying, teacher, Moses said, if... Uh, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Okay, so they asked him this question. They're asking him this question now. There were seven brothers among us. Okay, so you see, so this is the question. They're saying, Jesus, you know, you teacher, which in essence they're they're kind of mocking him. Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Right. So you get married. Uh, now you have a widow, uh, he, the guy dies, but the, the brother must marry, 
Right? That's what happens. And we see this in the scriptures. We'll see that in a moment. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. Now, Jesus, verse 28, in the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. See how Jesus handled this. You can tell, you can tell they're probably thinking, uh, we, we got him now. And, and they, they asked this question because, uh, if I can just bring you a quick snapshot for you theology buffs, basically this whole concept of resurrection uh, at the end of the age appears very clearly in Daniel 12, verse 2. Uh, but there are no really, no unambiguous texts from Genesis through Deuteronomy. So in the Pentateuch, you don't see this discussion a lot that, pull, that, that really brings forth this doctrine, okay? So... So these guys, uh, the Sadducees, um, you think of this concept in the resurrection, uh, they did not believe in the resurrection. So that's why they're asking this. So they try to provide a worst case scenario to catch Jesus. Okay, Um, these guys did not believe that there was a resurrection and didn't understand and and, and felt like these guys, the other people, all the other Jews were kind of off. And what Jesus does, um, and I'm sorry, in essence, they quote a couple of things. It says, in verse 25, ver- sorry, chapter 25, verse 5 of Deuteronomy, uh, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother and take her as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And also Genesis to show you where they're getting this information from. Genesis chapter 38, verse 8 reads, then Judah said to Onan, you're familiar with this passage. Now you see where it's coming from. This is the historical event of a theological treaty. Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. And that's the reason why Onan, when he spilled his seed, was in sin, was because he was supposed to fulfill this vow and he did not do so. Okay, so just kind of setting the stage of this is what they were thinking when they asked this question. Uh, they were thinking basically of the of the kind of deliverite marriage in the Pentateuch. How did things happen, right? That a brother uh, would actually go and, and perpetuate the family line. That was the focus, right? That you would not just let her just hang out there, but they would marry and kind of help continue the fairy line, of, um, the family line. And in saying this, they give a crazy example uh, that they think they're going to catch Jesus in. Well, let's see what Jesus says in verse uh, 29. Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you neither, uh, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. So his answer is twofold. He gives two issues. It says in verse 30, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as, far, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teachings. Check this out. So to give is a couple uh, couple issues here. First, uh, Jesus exposes uh, two main issues with their thinking, right? First, he says that the thinking about the resurrection is, is, is wrong, right? How they think about the resurrection is kind of wrong. And so it provides actually bad doctrine. So what I have here is you have, uh, this is, this is uh, and I, I talk about this a lot in our local body, and this is why we're very serious about the importance of right doctrine. If I can just pause and give a little, a little commercial to right doctrine right quick. Because notice something. Jesus says, first, you're thinking about the resurrection is wrong, and, not, and you doubt the power of God. 
May I propose to you that bad doctrine provided a bad view of God, right? When they thought, them thinking that there was no resurrection, in essence, they were limiting and saying God couldn't do something, okay? And so when you think of how important, sometimes I think the world would tell us, man, don't get so caught up in truth. Don't get caught up in, you know, just, you know, just love God. In fact, the new thing I've been hearing from unbelievers as I, as I, as I minister is this new term. Have you heard this? Like people talk about my, uh, like my truth, it's like the new thing I'm hearing from younger people these days. Maybe I'm, have you been hearing this lately? That people will say, well, this is my truth. Which is, which is really scary to me. It's a scary term. My truth? I'm, I'm surprised you guys haven't heard it. Because I've heard it many times when I deal with young, when I deal with college students and I'm speaking at different places. My truth. And you know what it is? It's almost like a trick of Satan because it's, it's basically a replacement from I think. Right? You now took what you think and it's become your truth. And so what happens, if we start thinking like that in the local body, what happens is bad, we have a bad reading of the Bible. And this is kind of my, my I would say, my, my hierarchy of how we get to bad, bad, you know, bad view of God. Bad reading of the Bible right, produces an erroneous view of doctrine, which leads to a wrong view of God, which is our proposed the doubting of God. This is just my commercial to say, please, let's, let's be people who, who long to not be arrogant, Right. We, we all we all got bad doctrine. We all got stuff in our in our thinking about God that's messed up. But let's not be fatalists and think, well, therefore, we can't know what's true. Let's be people who are still wanting to know what is true and being willing to to say, man, I was wrong here. But actually, guys, give me grace here where I'm right. Let's be willing to, to really go through and, and and shape and grow ourselves and how we think about the Lord, guys. Let's not go in day in and day out, week in and week out here hearing what I'm sharing, hearing what people are sharing in your mad group, and just knowing in yourself you're not going to change. It's, it hurts the kingdom. I want to propose God wants us to be growing more and more like him, and that means some of us, you should be cha- the, 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 the views you had about God today probably should change in a few months for some of us. And I wonder how many of us in this room are really humble enough to say, man, I was thinking this Sunday, and man, the Bible says this, I need to be thinking this now. How many of us go, how many of us really go through that metamorphosis? I've seen a few of us do that, which has been really cool. I want us to have that passion, that heart. Does that make sense? So, uh, so they have these two main issues. Uh, first, concerning the resurrection. Now, uh, Jesus here um, in Exodus chapter 3, I love what he says here. He does the whole, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And his whole point here is that you don't have to, uh, to doubt me, right? Jesus wants to remind them who we are talking about. I love how he says it. He's like, oh, man, you don't get it. You, you're talking like I'm not God, right? That's what he says. Oh, no, see, in a the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So what he does, what Jesus does here is he starts backwards. You see what he does? He says, no, let's start with, the, with your understanding about God. First, we need to start with God is able to do whatever he wants, right? He says, no, God is able to, to transform. In the resurrection, God is, man, he, he made, remember how he made angels? We're going to be kind of like that. He's like, no, angels aren't given in marriage in the same way you won't be. He's like, no, you don't get it. See, in this, in this kingdom I'm talking about, it's unlike man, and I don't really know how to explain it to you because I'm just letting you know, like, nothing's impossible with God. 
His point is like, oh, man, I'm sorry. You, you limiting God. You, we're, you know we're talking about God, right? That's how he starts the conversation. That, oh, we, we, we got to start this conversation right. And he says, look at the angels. We are already, we already see species. That's what's cool. He's like, first of all, I'm not just making up something possible. He's like, actually, you won't be given in marriage, but we have an example already. Look at the angels. We already have an example. Even if we didn't have an example, it's not that it doesn't mean God can't do it. Right? Because it's God. You see that? So he says, well, he says, let me, his point is, is the issue of the power of God. His point is that we're talking about a powerful God. And let me, let's pause there when we look at omnipotence. You've heard this word, uh, the concept of, of all powerful. And I want to pause here because uh, as, we, as we consider like, who is Jesus? This is Jesus's first point. His point is like, no, don't you get it? Like God can do whatever he wants. Now, I'll explain plainly to you that in the resurrection, it's going to be a different kind of thing. But man, do you understand that God can do whatever he wants? And let's talk about this whole concept of of omnipotence. First, God has the ability, that should be God has the ability, and power to do whatever he wills. This power is exercised effortlessly. God's power is unlimited. Think about that. Whatever God wants to just think about that. Whatever God wants to do, he can do. Right? But you also have to understand that God cannot do anything contrary to his nature. So God can do whatever he wants, but Hebrews 6, you know, that's, makes it clear. It says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, he who have fled to refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. What he does, he couches this, this context of like, God can do everything, but he doesn't do things that are evil. Like, he doesn't lie. He can't, that, that, he can't lie. We're going to talk about why in a moment because of his essence. Let me give you a few more verses to encourage you on, on who God is. Psalm 147 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. This is the God that, that Jesus is talking about as he's talking with these Sadducees. Because, see, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. But guess what? It's kind of a poke a little bit because the Sadducees also didn't believe in angels. So Jesus, I mean, have you ever done that? I mean, so he uses something that's true, but they think it's false to point to something, to a point that he's making. So, so you got to be, now think about that. We talked about, you know, the, the stories that are happening after Matthew, after the triumphal entry. You have to be real humble as a Sadducee to listen to all that and still be teachable. Because he's pushing back on the resurrection, which you don't believe. And his case in point to push back on the resurrection is to talk about a being that you don't believe, believe in. And that's angels. So who is he wasting his time? Right. Is he trying to well, is he trying to lose the argument? I propose not. Look at this. Isaiah 4, 44, 24 says, This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. I want to continue to give these verses of the power of God, of who God is. Jude 24, I read this every other week. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. The one who's able to do that. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Now, 
Here's why we stand elementary. Why I'm, I'm, I'm speaking verses, speaking verses. We're, we're, we're looking at verses that talk about God. Because for Jesus, this was very important to really pause and consider the power of God. And here's why. As I even listen to the prayer requests, as I come into our local body, here's the thing. Man, we, got, we have scenarios happening here where marriages are, are hurting. We have loneliness in our body. We have job situations people are worried about. We have sickness. We have death. And there's, there's all kind of things in this body, like every other body in the world, where we are struggling where we are really struggling. We're struggling with how to interact with each other, how to fight to fight well. We're struggling with strongholds. There's sins in our life where we're like, you know what? I'm just tired of fighting. I'm just going to kind of live a double life. I'll just have the sin, and then I'll go and be godly when I can. Right? There's huge struggles. And guess what God is trying to say here when we look at his character? What is Jesus like? First, he wants you to understand something. First, that he's able, that he's able to deliver you from your stronghold, that he's able to fix your marriage, that he's able to get you a job, that he's able to allow you to pass a test, that he's able to comfort you when there's a death in your family. That he's able to protect you. That he's able to be the one where when you're lonely. That he's able to provide you a child. And if he doesn't provide you a child, he'll provide you the grace in the midst of it. That he's able to solidify your relationships and make them redemptive. That he's able to help you raise your kids. He wants you to know that he's able. So when I, when I look at this passage here, he's exposing the Sadducees and saying, hey, first thing, how are we going to talk about this when, you, when necessarily in your statement is the inability of God? When you, when, they, when you come up to somebody and say, can God, you just messed up right there. We stop the conversation. And I tell people, when I minister to people, I don't do, and I, I, when, I, when I train young men, I say, don't get caught up in conversations that are dumb. And what I mean by that, you'll never see me arguing with somebody about picture, well, what if, what if God couldn't do this, Eric? I don't do those conversations because God can do everything. So I'll tell them, I'm believing in a minute. No, we, I, don't, I don't go there, man, because I don't believe that. But Eric, you're not being apologetic. Yeah, I am. I'm reminding him that that's dumb. That's dumb. We're gonna have, you want to have a real discussion, we can discuss something. You know what I'm saying? We discuss historicity and all that, but we ain't going to start dumb. God can't do something. Well, that's dumb. Right? Necessarily, that's not a God. Right? right? So we got to have, we got to just have adult conversation. So he wants us to pause first to say, God is able. But now listen now. If God is able, we still got an issue. You know what our issue is? Is the next part. But is God good? You see, God could be able, but if he's evil, if he doesn't care about you, if he's a selfish guy like all these other false gods, then what does it matter that he's able if he ain't going to hook, if he ain't going to care for you? What does it matter if he's able, if he's willing in his selfishness to say, I don't care anymore, I'm destroying the earth? What does it matter if you have an impotent guy who says, yeah, I don't, I care, I'm good, I, I'm able, but no, I, it doesn't matter if he's 
able and evil. It doesn't matter if he's able and just selfish. It doesn't matter if he's all powerful and yet he's not good. You understand that? And so look what he does here. That's what he's talking about when he, look at the passage. Look what he says. He says, for in the resurrection, he, 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 he talks about God's goodness. And look what he shares. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? And he talks about God being of the living, not the dead. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, hey, wait a minute. Don't you understand? Not only is he able, but, but see, you got... Ah, you, you, don't, you don't understand God is actually good. That, that if you understand God's goodness, you understand he's so good that you and you are with the Lord. He's going to take something away that was so good on earth. Think about it. He gives us marriage to retell the story of the Trinity. Right? He gives us sex so us, for us to enjoy that. Part of the passage here, the implications, they're talking about sex. Who had her, all these things. They're saying, so who, you, man, are we going to be missing all that in heaven? He says, you don't get it. He's able, but he's good. That, that God is so good when you are with the Lord, you ain't going to be worried about sex. He's saying when, you, when you're with the Lord, you're not going to be all talking about who's my girl and all this stuff. That God, if he's good enough, if he's really good, then we understand that when we are with the Lord, that even though he's, I love this, he, he takes something away that's so central to my life right now. My wife is more important than anything else next to Jesus. And God says, I'm going to do that for you on earth, and then I'm going to show you how good I am because I'm going to take something so central to you on earth, and it's not going to be the same in heaven. You won't even be married but yet you won't miss anything yet the beauty of my glory will make you not go man where's Sarah honestly that's a sobering thought but that's how good God is can God really do that that he can he's that good we're just the beauty and the essence of who he is and being with the Lord and being in glory with God that God says man you are going to be so this washed with goodness of who I am, you're not going to be worried about what you're missing. Think about that. I mean, think, contemplate that for a moment. So he says, no, don't you understand? But what, what is his point there? God is good. Well, no, you, y'all act like, like, God, like you're going to be sad. No, no, man. He's like, no, don't you understand? He's a God of the living. These people are still alive. So think about that, that, that he takes these good things, he's going to take these good things out of our life, but they do not in any way diminish heavenly bliss. Not at all. That, that all your interpersonal relationships and all this stuff in the life to come, uh, I mean, that, 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 that what happens in, a, in the life to come just far surpass the most intimate and pleasurable of human intercourse as we know it. I'm keeping it real. So, this is important. Why? Because, you know, as a parent, when I, I always, I brought this up a few times, for me, the biggest thing, I, I, get, I get really hurt as, as, a, as a fallen, messed up, not keeping my word parent, and with all of that, still, when my kids model a sense of unbelief of, of my goodness toward them, it like hurts. 
Something as simple as, I mean, the other, yeah, yesterday, you know, our kids will be like arguing over something and, and we'll uh, I'll say, hey, you guys need to clean your rooms, you know. And hey, guys, if we don't clean our rooms till, you know, by three o'clock, I tell the boys, you can't, we're not going to be able to go to soccer game because, hey, I've given you all this time. And Joe, you know, his attempt was to talk about justice, you know, well, well we're going to miss out. So our, what, if, what if Lauren and, and, and Eli, they don't do anything? Do we have to do everything? And I'm like, really, dude? You don't, you don't think that I'm aware? You don't think that I know that I want, I want to make sure? You don't think I have your good in this? You don't think I want to make sure everybody's working hard, that I don't want to have you sitting around like Cinderella around here, slaving over everything, you know, and Eli over there eating grapes, you know what I'm saying, and Lauren playing weed, you know what I'm saying? Like, like really? And I, and I, I try to help them to see the, I say, man, you, that, is, that, that makes me, do you understand that I, that I, I have your good in mind. When you start, when you when you asking those questions, man, it's, it's like, dude, that's a you, you're saying, Daddy, I don't know if you really are you really good. I think you're gonna treat me bad and treat them better. That's not what he, he's, he's like. I ain't trying to go there, but yeah, that's what we are. That's how we do it with God. Like, Lord, uh, man, Lord, I know you want me to. I know you want me to marry somebody who loves the Lord and walks with the Lord. But man, it's been a while. No one's come on, and 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 the guys are busters, and I can't find anybody. And, so maybe I'll, just, maybe I'll just I'll marry an unbeliever. I don't know if God really has my best. I don't know. Man, you know, this heartache is killing me. I just, something happened in my life, and, you know, and I lost a loved one. And, man, I just, I just the, the emotions aren't what I thought they would be, and so I was going to go on to another religion. You know, I just think I didn't get what I thought I was supposed to get out of that. It's goodness. Doubting the power of God, um, doubting the goodness of God. What we're really saying is, Lord, I don't think, and here's what they were saying. I don't think God is going to make this right. What is he going to do with all this? That's what we're saying. Is he going to make this right? Is he going to make this right? The goodness of God. Goodness is the essence of God. What's cool about that is we, we get to experience that at some level in uh, as we have, our, have a flawed image, you know, we, we're, we're creating God's image. And so we, even people have the common grace, we'll do good. And, like, well, and that's what's amazing to me is like good doesn't, like, it's not that God does good things and therefore he's good, right? Or he becomes more good as he does good things. He is, he is the definition of what good is. I mean, just pause and think about that. Like good is good because God is God. And his goodness with the power, when you have the ability and the character, it should build a sense of safety, right? It should build a sense of security and encouragement in your journey, in my journey. Because that means I have an all-powerful, good God who's my daddy. And it should draw us to him, right? Who likes to, don't you just like to be with, with really good kind of people, like just, you know, kind and caring and sacrificial and loving? I don't like jerks. You know what I'm saying? I don't like hanging and spending all my time around just, just jerky people. Now, I minister to them because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Praise the Lord. I'm keeping it real. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like when you see the goodness of God, you should want to be near that Lord. 
So, so think about it. You know, right now, this is when I would, we would consider ourselves and say, you know, what is God like? Consider who is Jesus? What is he like? We've made it clear in this text here. He's talking to these Sadducees and he's saying, guys, I want you to pause and think about what you're saying. First and foremost, when you look at the text you brought up, you forgot something. He's all powerful. Those rules, God isn't confined by any of that. And then he brings up Exodus. And the reason why he specifically goes to the Pentateuch is because he wants them. But the five books of the Bible, let me show you there. It talks about God. He creates living people. All right. And it's going to be different than what you think. Usually, or what I would love to do is give you an application. But here's the thing. Each one of you in your lives know. Where are you doubting the power of God? I think it would be it would be criminal for me to give you my example. When you have four or five in your own hearts. Where God is like, would you please quit doubting my ability? And would you please quit doubting my goodness? Let's close in this. Here's what he's doing. You know, we talk about this all the time. He gives us these huge truths and we get to digest them year in and year out for a millennium. You think of a thousand years, right? And he says this here because he, he's preparing it for something even more gigantic to believe. So he tells them that. But why? Why is he telling them about his power and his goodness, right? Based on marriage and stuff. Because he, he's saying, I want you to believe something even crazier that I'm preparing you for. Because real soon, I'm going to ask you to believe that a dude is going to die on a cross. He's going to rise from the dead. And I need you to believe something. That's validating that God is showing you clearly that he's all powerful when he makes this guy rise from the dead and that he's good. Because now he's shown you his goodness by murdering, by seeing his son get murdered for our good and his glory. It's a beautiful display of God sharing truth and is saying, I'm trying to prepare your hearts for even a bigger truth, the best truth. That's the gospel. So I'm excited to just hopefully in this room, if there's anyone right now, you don't understand right now that's what God is doing. Is he showing what he's like so that we can understand that as we watch Jesus march to the cross, we can see his character. God was fully able and should have murdered us all, killed us all, because of our sin, of us being our own God, but he didn't. What he did was he sent Jesus. Um, after he created us with purpose, value, and love, and we sinned against him and became his enemies, he still had mercy and sent his son. And he says, I want to show you, if you doubt my goodness, can I show you in, how, in what I do to my son so that you might be saved? That's what he did. And then you think, well, how do I receive that gift? He says, it's a gift. There's nothing you can earn for, by faith to say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you allow, give me the grace to repent? And may you be my Lord and I be your son or daughter. And God says, when we do that, he says, he, the work he will begin in us by giving us the Holy Spirit, making us be born again, anew in Christ. He says, he will complete that work 
to the day Jesus returns. That's why we're here. That's who our God is. Let's respond by taking our tithing offering and our communion and contemplate where are you and I, where are we doubting God? And write it down. Think about that. And then ask God, Lord, what, like, how, what does it look like for me to anchor some scripture into who you are when I'm doubting your power and your goodness to make things right in my life? If you're new... We-